Bandwidth for August has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y. Let them know that you heard about them here on 5x5. Yes. I'm also recording. I'm over It's also here. recording on the podcast. All right, here we go. Three, Three. two, one... We recorded this episode on August 20th, 2015. This is On The Grid, episode 129. This is actually the second time we're going to try to record this episode. We started. I had a wild home emergency. I had to stop. And so we gave it another shot. We'll talk more about it in a second. Stay tuned for fashion tips from Dan and Steve Jobs. Here we go. So should we just act like this is the first time we tried this? No. That never works. No, we should just tell the real story. Dan was quick with that. <laughs> we were recording the finest of episodes. It was the, the best greatest, episode. You're never going to hear it, but it was the greatest the episode you're never going to hear. Episode. And then uh, my ceiling exploded. Is that accurate? There was fire. There was a lot of blood. The opposite of fire, in fact. Boy, it was a water explosion. Yeah. Hot water. Fire water. Oh. No, just regular hot water. My hot water heater broke. And I uh, had to go deal with that, and now we're back. And, mm-hmm. uh, and now it's 2 a.m. on a work night, but we're here recording this podcast <sighs> for you listeners. Because we care about we you. care about Some you. Some shoes were ruined. Oh, we care no. about you, and if I don't get my 35 bucks from the sponsorship this week, I'm broke. I can't make rent, so mm-hmm. we got to rec- put this episode out. It's got to go. It has to happen. Mm-hmm. Something you said in there, Matt, uh, reminds me of a game that I play with some of my friends, which I don't think I've introduced you to. You said that... Uh, that what was exploding from your ceiling was not fire, but in fact, the opposite of fire. Oh, do you uh, play what is the actual opposite of this thing? Do you play this game too? Have I told you this before? No, it's just no. I feel like sometimes I do this in my head where I'm like, what is the opposite? Wait, what is the opposite of that? Yeah, you yeah. guys really what, do that? Yeah, what is the actual opposite of it? Because here's the thing. Interesting. For, what, what opposite actually means, really, like, you know, colloquially, is mm-hmm. the thing that is almost exactly the same, but it's just slightly different. And also there's only two of them. Like, mm. what's the opposite of salt? Pepper. And it's just two things you put <laughs> on your table that uh, you season your food with that are in containers that are come in sort of granular. Like, they're basically the same fucking thing uh, but in the grand water scope of what the world is. the opposite of salt? It would, no, no, no. Water and salt are not the opposite at all. They're, it, they coexist all the time. The opposite of, like, salt uh, would be, like, thoughtfulness or something. Like, <laughs> something as completely unrelated as you could possibly get from, from the actual original idea. So a fun game we play is somebody will say something is the opposite of something. We'll all look at each other and go, all right. And we count down from three or four, and then everyone says the word they think is the actual opposite of that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we should play around now. Okay. So we're looking for the opposite of fire. And what's going to happen is I'm going to count down from three. And your goal is to think of something that is as completely separated from the idea of fire as you can possibly imagine. And we're all saying this at the exact same time? Yeah, that's what makes a good podcast. You say okay. it at the exact same time, and then no one can tell what was said, and then we can hide in the mystery in between oh, oh i like it okay all right so i've been i've been killing time here explaining the instructions multiple times in great detail mm-hmm. give you a little bit of time to think i know it's your first time playing uh i'm definitely not killing time because i myself haven't thought of a good opposite <laughs> i would definitely not do that i'm ready well, that's good thank god thank god you're not doing that <laughs> you're ready yeah fire is a hard one fire is because I'm, I'm running through things and fire is involved in a lot of shit it's a very yeah. fundamental building block of uh i feel like of a lot of ideas in our culture mm. So, opposite of fire, mm-hmm. uh, three, two, one, vacuum. The cold nine. cuts. Okay, so wait, wait. You said, someone said a vacuum and someone said cold cuts. I said cold cuts. I said vacuum. So, so Dan, you said vacuum just because there's no matter in a vacuum? Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, fire is also not matter. It's one of the only things that is not matter that looks like it has 
mass and behaves like matter, but it's actually just the result of a chemical reaction. I think those things are extremely similar. But you can't have a chemical reaction in a vacuum, though. No, you can't, but then the vacuum would be the opposite of everything that can't exist in a vacuum, which is, oh, by the way, basically everything. Okay. <laughs> anyway, now you said cold cuts, Matt. Mm-hmm. Cold cuts, I think it's a pretty damn good answer. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good about cold cuts here. This is bullshit. There's, Fine. I don't think there's really any fire. I, I was mean, thinking a lot of uh, foods. Uh, some, for, somehow I was thinking of foods. Maybe I'm just hungry. And then I was thinking, oh, well, most foods prepared with fire. Let's think of foods that are not prepared with fire. Yeah, I think somewhere along the line, there's probably some fire involved in cold cuts, but it seems so far divorced from the end product mm-hmm. that yeah. uh, I think cold cuts is a pretty far from fire. Also, it has the word uh, cold in it. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. It does have the word cold in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went with the number nine. I figure the number nine is pretty far from the idea of fire, too. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I'm sure there's been some myth in history about the nine fires of something at some point or <laughs> the torch that lasted nine nights. Something like that has definitely been a thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's how you play the game. Uh, go forth on the grid listeners and become the annoying pedant at your party and play the actual <laughs> opposites game. Actually, this is a good Twitter game, too. This is a really good Twitter game. And before you email, yes, I know that opposite doesn't mean the weird definition we just outlined for ourselves <laughs> here, which is an idea totally unrelated to another idea. Uh, it's just funny to think about. So uh, it is funny. have fun. Stop being so serious. So here's what here's the thing I I can't let this go. Okay. Uh, the the one what, gem, Dan not Dan not wearing belts. You can't let it yeah, go. Yeah, I can't let that go. You come I, back to that I seriously. I can't let that just die with the last <laughs> un, unreleased show. Uh, oh, because the Steve Jobs thing happened too. Yeah, you can't let that, <laughs> that die is either. Too much gold. Uh, there's there's no way we can just let that go. Should we do a dramatic reenactment of what happened? We would might be, need to. I mean, first, like we need to introduce what happened today. Yeah. Today yeah. we learned that uh, you can make a terrible belt. And you can raise $100,000 in Kickstarter. Yeah, Kickstarter, that. you can sell bad shit on Kickstarter. We talked for a while about that. We can summarize that conversation. Guess what? Bad things are popular on Kickstarter, too, just like everywhere else. Conversation sure. summarized. Sure, there you go. But here's what we learned. And Andy and I, for a while, uh, got very upset about this stupid belt and how it can make so much money. And uh, <laughs> We're extremely fragile. We get upset at almost everything. We, <laughs> yeah. we basically can't every exist day, in the world. We have a Slack channel where every day Andy says, hold me back, boys. Hold me back. I'm going to kill <laughs> him. I'm going to kill him. It's basically and true. And that's kind of yes. what we have to do for poor Andy there. Sensitive man. Yeah. And uh, then, then we learned uh, what Andy and I thought we were doing was arguing about which belt is best. But what Dan was doing in his head was being like, yeah, who needs belts anyway? And yeah. we all turned to Dan and said, wait, what, sir? Wait, so here's a dramatic reenactment. Dan... Not wearing a belt is totally crazy. Not having a suit, not having a tie, that's completely normal. But what crazy person doesn't have a belt? Uh, somebody who has well-fitting pants. That's somebody. Can you think of any examples of like a famous person that wouldn't wear a belt? Absolutely. Steve Jobs. He never wore a belt. Matt said leading a horse to water and shoveling water in the <laughs> horse's mouth. <laughs> drink, damn it, you horse. Drink. Um, <laughs> we... <laughs> Anytime we approach a thing with what I think is a shared understanding of how it's going to go, yeah. you never take it that direction. I, and that's the best part. I think it's a skill. I don't know if you're doing it on purpose, yes. but I'm like, let's reenact this thing. That's, where- I, honestly, like the reason I don't talk as much is because I put all my energy into that one little thing. Into, into just doing the thing that's most unexpected. You're basically, you're the best at the opposite game, but with regular conversation. <laughs> yes! Where, where we say we're going to do a dramatic reenactment of where you discovered the cover of Fortune magazine, wherein Steve Jobs is not wearing a belt on the cover of Fortune well, magazine. Well, now you're just being specific. I did bring up Steve that, Jobs. But I know, but that, 
I, mm? I'm telling uh-huh. you that that's what I wanted you to do again. Okay. And instead, you were just like, well-fitting pants. That's that's the thing that burned you. That was, <laughs> no. the, that was the biggest revelation of that conversation. <laughs> what burned me was Steve Jobs on the cover of Fortune magazine, not well-fitting pants. I also have pants that fit, I swear. Then why do you have a belt? For Okay, so here's, here's why. I'll okay. tell you exactly why I have a belt. Okay. Uh, because pants stretch. Uh, most pants are made of cotton. I, I do have a lot of wool pants, but you can't wear wool pants in most in year round. A lighter wool is a formal material. They don't really make a, a light wool. It's casual. So you're not going to wear a light wool pant to the work every day unless you're going somewhere fairly dressed up. My, my light wool pants would get destroyed on my bicycle every day, basically. So, uh, you know, I wear, I wear jeans like the average person. And jeans are made of cotton and cotton stretches. Uh, so the actual waist size of the jeans is pretty variable. It, depending on how long it's been since I've washed them, it will be a different amount. And the belt is the great unifier. You put a belt on and it closes the gap and makes it a very consistent number. And also, cl- they have belt loops. It's like an empty place. If you don't put a belt there, you got to put the belt on there. It's a way that to tie is, the... That is the crazy revelation of seeing Steve Jobs on the cover of Fortune magazine with no belt. And like, so now now we've done a little bit of Googling and we've discovered this is, in fact, a phenomenon. There have been nerds writing about Steve Jobs' lack of belt for a long time. Single nerd, we think. We found one. Possibly a single nerd. And I guess we can link to it's this on Medium, article. so it matters. It's not on Medium. It's Where on. It? It's pre-Medium. It's like 2008. Did this you is an even early... click on the link? It's on somebody's, like, old-school blog roll. Ooh. Yeah, this was this is back during a lifetime. That's that dark shit. Uh, okay. But it just seems like a guy so interested in both form and function, ignoring a belt loop, is a huge oversight. Well, he but also is notoriously. Can he, also, he also notoriously just doesn't care about a lot of things that normal <laughs> people care about. Yeah, uh, you know, like getting treatment for his cancer, for example. Um, so, you know, I, I think it kind of makes sense a little bit, but I'm still shocked to see that on the cover of of Time magazine. It, it pulls your shoes together with the rest of your outfit. Otherwise, you just got your whole outfit, and then you got shoes sticking out of the bottom that don't match anything. Wait, you do know that he wore like New Balances, so it's not like he was very much caring about how his shoes match with everything else yeah that's true this is true steve jobs is not a fashion icon i mean let's make sure we're on the same page here this man is not necessarily uh the person leading us into the fashion future clearly dan is no no i understand but he's also not a judd apatow character is judd apatow dressed he's a responsible grown man i'm just surprised the art director of fortune magazine let them let him not put a belt on i'm surprised someone didn't come up how are you going to tell steve jobs to change what he's wearing that might be the case. There might have been a, uh, a person in charge of wardrobe on that shoot who said, do you want it? He said, no, I will not have it. A, he was a monster. He was a human monster. We yeah. can all agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, that's what happened in the previous episode of the show that everyone missed. That's our, is that our first lost episode? No. Well, there's a couple, no, actually. No, no, no. We found a few. Yeah. So, basically, this whole conversation was me trying to get at the idea that fashion has something to do with design. You know, look, hey, designers, what's the deal? They're always wearing black clothes. <sighs> what's happening there? What's the deal with that? Or um, I would say it has something to do with in, in as much as, like, uh, despite fashion having the word design in it often, like, fashion designers and graphic designers, architects, industrial designers have very different ideas of what fashion is supposed to be. I mean, a little bit, but I feel like if you're a, if you're a norm core person, if you're like someone in middle America shopping mm-hmm. at Walmart, as far as you're concerned, graphic designers and fashion designers dress identical. Like, look, weird clothes on both of them. Well, that's, that's a good way of putting it. I think um, of them as uh, ideologically opposed, but uh, yeah, a bunch of weirdos dressing funny, right? Yeah, so I, I guess my question for you, and you, you two basically, to summarize your positions, were like, I buy clothes that... I like and fit and they're simple. I don't like to think about them very much. Could you agree that both of you just don't like to yes. think about it much? 
I like to buy the same pair of button-down shirts that I like in different colors, uh-huh. the same t-shirt I like in the same color. And just to be clear, you wear the button-down shirt not tucked in, right? I do not tuck my button-down shirt in, because I mostly wear jeans, and I consider Gotta jeans... Tuck- Tucking your button-down shirt into your jeans is an unacceptable no. 90s-style yeah, uh, Jerry Seinfeld thing to no, do. No, 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 no. Uh, we're going to check back in in 10 years, and I bet you're both tucking all your shirts into your pants. Maybe into my Dockers or something, my uh, khaki pants. Are you think you're wearing Dockers in 10 years? Is he, I don't gonna know. you go that far downhill? I have no <laughs> idea. But uh, I'm, not, I'm just not tucking my uh, shirt into my jeans. That's all I'm saying. Someday. Someday you kind realize of, it makes you look like a, a man instead of like a boy. You look like it doesn't a, make you look like a man. It, it makes does. you look like a 90s man. It does. Look, here's the shape of a man's body. You have the shoulders, you got the waist, you got hips, you got thighs. When you put a shirt on, you don't tuck it in. Guess what? You got shoulders, then you have shirt, then you have knees. That's all you got in the middle. You're not shaped like a human. You're just, you get a big, uh, big like bib on basically. You just uh, gotta, no, you but get a I, somewhat fitting shirt. Uh, yeah, and it doesn't you can the tails can be different. It okay, doesn't have so to be like a, a long fitting shirt, and then you're just a shirtless man wrapped in a tight in a tight plastic of something. Button down shirts can be made not to be tucked in. I yeah. own a couple of pairs of those. Yeah, when they're when they're cut flat on the bottom, so they don't have the tails because the tails again functional thing meant mm-hmm. to be tucked in. Keep your shirt tucked in well. Yep, uh, and you should only do it in extremely casual settings. Extremely casual. Yeah, that's why I wear it to work. Wait, Dan, you don't wear a button-down. You probably just wear some old metal t-shirt. No, no, no. I um, very particularly wear a button-down, either a solid color or flannel sometimes, uh, Uh. five days a week. Oh, that's impressive. Okay, that's a step up from what I would expect. Okay, so Dan. Thank you. Why? I don't feel comfortable going out in the normal real world unless I have something that's more than a t-shirt. It just does not feel comfortable to me. Interesting. Yeah. I would never have guessed that was your perspective, but it's interesting to hear. Now, I mean, the reason I ask is because for me, I think the thing in me that wants to care about how I dress, which I admit is in many ways a vain, shallow thing to do, I think is the same part of me that wants to like care about how a website looks or care about how, how branding is appropriate to a particular company or care about a lot of the things that we as designers are tasked with caring about. And it seems to me that you two are, you're not slobs, of course, but you're much more nonchalant. And you're like, yeah, I just wear clothes that are fine. And, and Matt, you <laughs> even said in the previous episode, your goal is to be as completely neutral as possible. Like, nobody on either side should think anything about what you're wearing. Just like uh, background noise, right? Uh, that's pro- I think that's where I started. Uh, my, I don't know if I've evolved that much from being like a 20-year-old who thought exactly that. Uh, but I'm not that far from that idea. Like, that's where my wardrobe comes from. I'm not trying to. Like, there's at some point where I took every T-shirt I had with a graphic on it and decided that I would no longer wear those anymore. Yeah, that's a good day in everyone's life, I think. Mm-hmm. Did you make a quilt out of yours? Uh, no, I kept some, like, there's some band t-shirts I can't bear to throw away, so they're just in a, in a closet. Maybe I'll frame them one day and be like, look at the memories. Yeah. But, uh... Look, kids, we used to wear these on our torsos. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, what's a Dillinger escape plan? Well, son, <laughs> sit down and let me tell you about the summit of 2006. If you've ever stayed up until, uh past midnight recording a podcast for three hours you'll know that making a website is hard work and you'll take any tool available to you to make it easier 
If you had to make a website like right now, right now, tonight, I don't think there's any way I can make a website right now. I'm exhausted. Are you sure about that? I can find a tool for you that you could do it very quickly, very easily. I would need a tool that I could do without any coding. First of all, can't do any coding. No coding. Uh, yeah, I would definitely want to be fully responsive because I, I don't make websites that aren't fully responsive. This is 2015. I'm not living in the stone ages. Let's say you don't. Your skill level is like zero, but you want it to look professionally designed. I mean, I know technically I'm a professional website designer and developer, but uh, it's but late. Based on how late it is. Yeah, you know how like. like you're basically like a monkey right you know, now. They say that driving drunk is basically the same as driving uh, deprived of sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, same goes for designing. Right now, I'm basically a drunk designer. I can't be trusted with anything. Sure. So I'm. I don't think I can make a website. Well, I don't know if you can afford this. Do you have eight dollars? Um, let me check. Let me check. Oh, my wallet. Uh, will they take a twenty? They might. <laughs> they might. If you can put that into your credit card, they might take a twenty. <laughs> And uh, uh, who is they? Is they uh, Squarespace? They is Squarespace. We're brought to you tonight by Squarespace, the only way Andy can make a website right now. <laughs> Squarespace <laughs> is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. It is trusted by millions and some of the most respected brands in the world. It's state-of-the-art technology powering your site to ensure security and stability. It starts at $8 a month, so Andy can afford it. And if he pays for that whole year, 20 bucks is going to get him close. Getting close there, Andy. You can get a free domain. Who is not going to... Listen, people. You are not going to change your mind about wanting a website. Don't not pay for the whole year. Pay for the whole year. Pay for 20 years if you can. You're going to want this for a long time. So if you can't wait until tomorrow, start your free trial today with no credit card required. There, see, no credit card required. doesn't even matter if you have that 20, Andy. Start a free trial. Okay, I can start a free trial. I've made my website and then... Go to squarespace.com and when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, use the offer code GRID to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for On The Grid. So thank you to Squarespace for supporting 5 by 5 and On The Grid. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Squarespace, the only way Andy can make a website after midnight because he's an old man and normally he goes to bed at 9.30 or 10 because he likes to get up early and tend to the garden. Squarespace. So, for me, clothing... I made a very conscious decision, it, more or less when we started the company, maybe shortly after we started the company. Uh, and that was really when I actually started to care about how I looked. I mean, when I was in school, sure, like I found a sweatshirt that I thought was cool. You know, that's my, that my go-to hoodie or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, I wore this like uh, red and white striped hoodie. Everyone called me Where's Waldo for, you know, my best part of my college career. Because uh, I liked the stripes. You know, that was how I chose clothes when I was in, in school. Uh, I loved orange. I had like orange sneakers I wore everywhere. Uh, that was kind of the dude that I was. Um, when we started Friends of the Web, there were two strong feelings in me. One feeling was I don't want to look like a company run by some idiot kids. Uh, there was a strong desire to present ourselves as adults and also to present ourselves as not some startup where the people that run the company wear t-shirts and flip-flops to work and everyone <laughs> comes in at 10 30 and plays some xbox for a while and then maybe they get around to making a website uh <laughs> sorry dan i don't mean to directly <laughs> it's not like it's punching not dan in the face with your words i swear i don't mean to direct that at you exactly I just, but i know you're i just want to stay one nobody wears sandals two it's not an xbox it's a playstation 4 thank you sure. continue my mistake uh, but so I, I didn't want to be perceived that way. And there were plenty of companies in Baltimore that were, they didn't have that culture, but were clearly striving for it. They saw companies in San Francisco that were like that. And they were like, we want to be that way too. So yeah, guess what? It's uh, everybody dressed like a slob every day. That's the, that's the motto of our place. <laughs> um, so 
those that was the one sort of first emotion was like i want to look like this is a real thing because it is a real thing i want to treat it with the sort of respect that it and dignity it deserves and the other thing was i became very frustrated at the idea of spending money on clothes regularly and the idea that every time i looked back two years or even a year in the past i was like that guy dresses like an idiot uh every time i looked back on it um basically without fail uh and part of that i think is you're going through high school and college and you're a kid and you know things happen Uh, but i think another big part of it was you know i was kind of dressing as well as i could or as much as i cared uh with whatever was in at the time right like whatever my friends were wearing is what i was wearing more or less uh like in high school i know that there was a phase where everyone was wearing uh you know pop collars on their uh their like uh polo shirts so did that for a long time um and eventually i was just like wait a minute clothing has been around for a long time uh surely there are some things that have stood the test of time and if you look through the history of menswear there are certainly some things that at least since world war ii have basically been staples and haven't changed all that much uh and to people like us that are maybe young we look at those things and think they're like dad clothes because we've seen almost all the men in our lives wearing them uh, but actually that's just the clothes that work uh, and from a design perspective you actually start to realize why things like a blue button-down uh, oxford cloth shirt just works because Skin is a warm tone, and light blue is a cool tone, and having that contrast is very pleasant, and it brings out the complexion, and mm-hmm. you know all the things that all the reasons why these things have survived so long becomes apparent. Uh, and so I've strived in the past three or four years to buy very few clothes that are of good enough quality to last as long as that article of clothing can possibly last, and to buy clothes that, as far as I can tell, are in no danger of going out of style, and more importantly, I'm in no danger of hating myself for in two years. Uh, and that's been my whole kind of approach to, to wearing clothes, which I think is, here's the part where I'm pretending this is about design at all. I feel like this is deeply related to my kind of ethos about how things should be made, right? Like with a, with a thoughtfulness to history and with a thoughtfulness to the future mm-hmm. and with a respect for how long and how much time and effort it takes to actually do something. I very much understand that. It's interesting to me that uh, I do seem to have a disconnect between what I believe in what i do every day uh and what i wear every day like where i think i came from is that they had no disconnect at all it was like the most minimal decision that requires the least amount of effort must be the best decision Mm -hmm. and i think my my sense of design has evolved because i've thought about it a lot uh and it just doesn't necessarily translate to uh, how I decide to dress every day, which is kind of two modes. There's wear kind of jeans or like it's very hot in the summer, like hopefully a reasonably like a respectable pair of khaki shorts or something and a black t-shirt or a button down shirt. Uh, and then there's like meeting times where I'll wear nice pants, nice shoes and tuck my button down shirt into my pants and tie depending on the setting. Mm-hmm. But that's in my mind, that's for somebody else that has nothing to do with me. Whereas what you're describing, Andy has a lot to do with how you feel about you, uh, which doesn't enter into my mind at all. Uh, yeah. And, I, and like when you describe it, I, I a little bit want it to. Uh, and not that like, God knows everybody has had that discussion with their girlfriend who they're like, maybe you could wear this. And <laughs> I just think, I look at it and think this is very uncomfortable. I don't want to do this. It feels like it's not you, right? You're it like, doesn't feel like it's me. And do also I've, I've done this many times where I will go to a store and I will put something on and uh, think, oh, well, that does look good. And I'm kind of uncomfortable at the time. So I go, well, I can probably deal with this. And I buy it. 
And then I go home and I, I put it on and I go, yeah, it's still a little bit uncomfortable, but I guess it looks good. And I wear it the one time and then it goes in my closet. And then the next time I go and go, that eh, was pretty uncomfortable. I guess I'm not going to put that back on. And then it never comes back ever again. <laughs> You're describing this, and I just keep picturing you for some reason wearing like some kind of sex harness. <laughs> like you're in, you're in the sex harness store, and you're like, yeah, it looks pretty good. You know, I think I could. Uh, think it's I like a little ball uncomfortable. Gag. And then you get home, and you're yeah. like, you know what? The ball gag's still a little uncomfortable, but I look pretty good with this ball gag in. And then you eventually decide. Uh, it ends up in a pile of all your unused ball gags. Sure. Um, no, I, mean, I, I guess the reason I think this is important is because. That thing I described, which I think is fairly easy to describe about clothes, is what my brain does about every decision I make, right? Like, my house was built in 1846 uh, because it was a pretty good house then, and it's been a pretty good house for 150 years, so I have no reason to believe it's not going to, it's going to cease to be a pretty good house. Uh, same goes for all the decisions uh, I make about what to do to the house. You know, what it, I look at, this is a part of a big, big part of my rejection of modernism, right? The idea that the newest thing is inherently the best. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of examples of just a thing that has worked forever to bring it back around. Uh, this idea of like inventing a new kind of belt, which is just a piece of shit elastic with a dumb plastic buckle. What, why, does the, why does a typical belt have to have something wrong with it? Why do we have to innovate that? Why can't that just be okay? Mm -hmm. am, I just, am I turning into an old man? Am I going conservative and Republican over here for being like, <laughs> stop innovating belts, people? Just like improve our efficient use of energy or something yeah. useful or work on well, the acidification of the oceans <laughs> and stop fucking trying to make a new belt i think of that all the time but then you're, i'm always reminded of like a song analogy where you're like do you want do you want there to be less songs less creative efforts out in the world and like but i think that's why a, doesn't that apply to everything uh, yeah that's it a false equivalency because yeah. it doesn't i don't think you can be like oh you know and that's I, I first heard that analogy. Like that, goes, that gets said for every typeface argument you've ever had, right? Exactly. I first heard that analogy from Ken Barber when we were teaching type and lettering, and he was saying that Why people, one more typeface? Why more fonts? And, like, well, why more albums? Uh, and, you know, I think that's fine, uh, but that is very, like, and music is very specifically an artistic expression. There are yep. some examples of music that is functional, that performs some goal, but mostly it is a way to, like, sort of reflect humanity and society back on itself in a way for us to look at ourselves and evaluate ourselves uh, on a cultural emotional level uh, and i think there is immense value in continuing to do that because it would be impossible to make the same music twice right like no album is ever going to be made no one album is ever going to be made on two separate occasions by two different people because uh the difference of perspective and context and history affects everyone differently and that's the value of continuing that sort of push forward uh, i think you can make the same argument about typefaces i think most people have a hard time seeing the granularity and the difference uh, and the sort of importance of them. But mm -hmm. I think that same argument is there. But fucking belts, like belts are not a reflection of, uh, of our cultural values and our history and everything. They're just, it's a thing to hold your pants up. That can just be okay. We could just have conquered the hold your pants up problem, right? Is, is that not okay? It is okay. I mean, the thing is, I'm the wrong guy to make the other side of the argument. Because you uh, own one I belt. Don't, <laughs> I don't. I, and Dan owns There no are belts. so many people yeah. who are around to make the argument that uh, fashion is indeed a form of expression. And of course things can well, change. Well, it can be. Like, but, but the other thing, too, I mean, the thing to remember, too, is like, you're Mr. Wool Sock Man. Uh, that is a, a very serious uh, reflection of your values via your fashion. Yeah. And while that is like, you could definitely make the argument that, that is a thing that could last forever. and We could all just pick wool socks. We don't, uh, and you've made a very specific decision to reflect your values in your socks. No, and that's the thing, and to slice it very thinly, I have no problem with people making 
more belts. That's fine. I have a problem with people suggesting they've fixed the belt or improved it objectively yes. or made a new, better belt. And I could just blather on for hours about how frustrating this is, specifically with regards to the bicycle. Every two years, someone's like, we fixed all the problems with the bike. We added an electric motor because pedaling uphill sucks. We fixed that problem with the bike and we added these cool Tron-like tires so you can be seen. We fixed all the problems with the bike. But, or, we, or we invented a new helmet because the problem with the bike was helmets. So now we have this <clears throat> scarf that explodes into an inflated worm around your head every time you crash your bike. Now bikes are going to be successful. And it's like, you fucking idiots. Bicycles are the best thing we've ever invented. Like, name one thing that has basically been unchanged for 100 years that is as efficient and beautiful and perfect as a bicycle, and yet people are still coming along every two years and claiming to have reinvented it. And it's like, you can make new bikes. That's fine. Please, everyone keep making new bikes. Keep trying out new materials. Like, go for that. Stop suggesting you have solved the age-old problem of why not everybody is wearing bikes or, uh, or uh, riding bikes or wearing belts or whatever. Uh, there's just... You can't. I hate that. Here, but here's the thing: you're you're mad about the framing of it. You're not mad about the doing of it. You're mad about the framing of it. Yes. But who's who's but the, going but, to do that without thinking that they've solved some sort of problem? Like artists, I think artists artists never think they've solved a problem. That's what art is. You just set out to not solve a problem and you make something interesting. Like, do you think? Okay, so. I don't know that art actually has that definition. I think that's the definition that we're giving to art. Like, no. I what mean, if? What let's if talk about think, the definition of art. Don't do this uh. to me. Yeah, but I'm sure there are plenty of people who think they're solving a societal problem through art, uh, a bigger abstract problem through art. Like we love to talk about things through the frame of problem solving, and you're applying that to to uh, a very broad category, but and then and then judging against it. But I'm not sure well, if it's really totally fair to do so. Here's the thing: if you if your goal was problem solving, mm -hmm. you wouldn't choose to make another fucking belt because there's not a problem to solve you would choose to do something that was a problem to be solved. If your goal is self-expression and your goal is making uh, a new thing that reflects how society feels about belts, then yeah, make all the belts you want because you have a unique perspective on it. You can make a cool belt, but you should have no... I, I, I think but here's the thing, like you were arguing about someone's intention and what if what if this guy really thinks he did solve a problem that he has with a belt? Then like that, what is that intri dumb. opening line where he's like, your belt... Uh, doesn't deal with your everyday problems and you can't go from work to play or whatever. Except like, what if that's an actual problem he has and he really thinks he solved it? He might be an idiot, but uh, I mean, are we arguing about that's the thing. his people, intentions people or can his be wrong. I mean, so I think the intentions are the important part. Like, you keep saying, like, you're talking about intentions. That's all I really care about. Like, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, whatever, you made a crappy elastic belt. Like, do your thing. Make a crappy belt. Uh, obviously, part of the visceral response to this is the obvious success this person has had as if people were demanding a crappy elastic belt which to me is just evidence that they've manipulated people through marketing and branding and think they wanted a crappy plastic belt mm -hmm. but no i think the intentions are the important thing right like why you set out to do what you do i think ultimately shapes what your overall impact on the world is and if you're if you are setting out to I, I, that's the thing is i think the framing is disingenuous I don't think. I think so too. I, I don't think this person is like is, belts are a problem. I, I'm going to fix them. I think this person was like, "Hey, look, I can make a elastic belt with printed stuff all around it in a plastic buckle for four cents. I bet I can sell these to fucking idiots on Kickstarter for thirty five uh, bucks or yeah. whatever." I think he found. I think he has a community of people he's already tapped into that he can. He knows he can sell to. Yeah. And <laughs> you are speaking in code. So. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what happened. He's got a community um, of people with secret underwear. Like it's one of those things that's just been around for a long time. So like if somebody were to come in and have a Kickstarter, say like we've we've disrupted the wool sock market because not. 
not everyone uses or wears wool socks. Uh, that there's probably a group of people who be like, oh my god, they finally figured it out. Maybe I'll get wool socks this well, time. We have, a, we have an expression for it, building a better mousetrap. Like, it's a thing yeah. that people are constantly trying to do. And, I mean, the, one of the reasons that it's hard for me to get too mad about it, like, I can get mad about a really stupid idea and people responding with it, responding to it very positively, um, but it's not hugely different from what I think we're all trying to do all what, the time. What, make money? You mean? Like, how, how mad can you be when you're... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. No, but I mean, how mad can you be when, like, how different are the things that we're doing day to day? Are we making something totally new that we've never we've never seen humanity touch before that's solving a big problem? Or, like, <sighs> we taking basic patterns, combining them together, and make trying to make something slightly no, better Matt, for we're being, the people We're being crippled with self-reflection, and we're not doing anything out of fear that we might not be having a good impact on the world. And we're just sitting around <laughs> talking about it instead. <laughs> See, like, I don't know. Like, my day-to-day is entirely around, like, small iterations towards a thing. And I never try to make big jumps or big declarations about stuff I'm working on where, like, when this sort of stuff is presented it's like we've completely revamped the way that you do belts and like it's a very different and here's, here's the thing here's what i think might be different and i'm hesitant to say this because i've read the wikipedia page on cognitive biases and i know that this is probably a weird cocktail of biases that makes me feel like this is a new thing but i really feel like my exposure to people that will describe themselves in these grandiose ways uh has been shot up uh, I, I i call it the steve jobs effect <laughs> right like uh, Steve Jobs was notorious for going on stage and saying, we've invented this new thing. This is the bone of the future. Everyone else is way behind. We invented this new thing, and it's going to be great. And he would make these bold proclamations about how this was going to be in everybody's home and how this was uh, revolutionary and the next great, amazing thing. Uh, and when he first started doing that, my understanding from reading his biography and from barely being alive uh, was that it was an audacious thing to do like people didn't just go on stage and announce that they were changing the world uh and i feel like because he in extremely rare form announced he was changing the world and then did in fact change the world that now everyone else thinks they can start their company start their fucking kickstarter belt and just talk about how they are the new x they are replacing everything they're coming in they're changing the space like it's it's in fashion to describe yourself Yes. in ways that usually are reserved for historians to describe you later, and you just say it as if that's true. Uh, and that... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, there's there's been individuals that, like, I've worked with in the past that will say on their resume, on their LinkedIn profile, that they're thought leaders. And it's one of those things, like, well, you can't just say that I you're a thought leader. I had someone genuinely invite us to a blue sky session yesterday. Just a blue sky. Just to have some blue oh, sky thinking. wow. I actually don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Oh, p- people, they say that when they mean, uh, like, you want to think without constraints. Uh, so you just want to, like, go and think about a problem without worrying about technical constraints or money constraints. You just kind of go blue sky it out. Sky's open. You uh, just go for it. I'm glad they had enough cycles for that. But, yeah, exactly. Anyway. My point is, though, that I, I do think that this attitude of self, uh, self-promotion, whether self is you as an individual or your company or your product, uh, is so, so prevalent. Like, go down the list of YC-funded companies, click on their websites, and every single one of them announces to be the new X for whatever industry mm-hmm. that is going to completely disrupt everything. And this largely comes from the attitude of investment, right? Like, if you don't sell yourself as the next gigantic player in whatever market... No one's going to invest in you. And so you sell yourself that way to investors. You sell yourself that way to your customers. You just bullshit, 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 right until your startup is burned. Well, it's an arms race. Like once somebody starts saying it, uh, how is anyone supposed to say anything different? Like we have, we have the loudest guy. I don't in the know. Room. Have some fucking dignity. <laughs> but st- you know, st- be, like, be a little less uncouth. Maybe. <laughs> 
But you, so let's say you have the loudest guy. <laughs> well, we, we struggle with this every day. We're like, what are we going to do? We're going to we're going to put a, a reasonable description of the podcast on the designer news site. Oh, nobody clicked on it. What are we going to do? No, let's oh, sell the shit it, out of it. What if we call the, yeah. uh, call the episode something really inflammatory? Oh, that'll make people click on it. That is similar. You're it's right. The same, uh, it's the same struggle we but, go through every day. Like, yes. yes, you can have some... You can be a thoughtful guy and sit in a room by yourself. Like, I, I struggle with this every day because I don't, I don't think either is completely wrong. Like, sometimes I see the Steve Jobs type guy and think, like, man, I wish I had so little self-awareness that that worked for me, too. I'd really be killing and the it. the thing is... I'd the be thing is, before it. Steve Jobs, the Steve yeah. Jobs type guy was just an asshole, <laughs> and now the Steve Jobs type guy is somebody that can walk around as if they have yeah. some, some, uh, you know, some reason to be there, some, some right to behave the way they're behaving. Uh, which I don't, I don't want to be critical of Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was who he was, and he did his thing. It's just it sucks that so many people, it seems, in the wake of that, see that as carte blanche to basically be a dick and act like they're a creative genius. Yeah, I mean, like, it was a, it's the sort of thing that, like, he met the expectations that he was giving. So, ultimately, he was saying that, like, I am incredibly smart, so is the company that I run, therefore, we made this thing that is going to be amazing. You're oh, by the way, it. he was wrong a lot. Uh, you, there's a long list of things that he introduced that were total flops, but I think we can agree that's the byproduct of the creative process, but none of those things he introduced with the level of thoughtfulness we're describing here, where he said... We try really hard, but it could be a flop. He was just like, this is it. This is the new mouse. It's a perfect circle. I don't care that you can't figure out where the button is. It's going to be the worst mouse ever, but this is what, what it's going to be because of whatever reason. Yeah, um, but, but in part of that process, too, is that like even especially after his passing, uh, you see a lot of CEOs or people who wanted to be CEOs or people who want to be able to have uh, successful startups would start emulating surface level things that were associated with him. Like even there well, was, that's the problem with everything. People emulating surface levels of something instead of the root reasons why, right? Well, yeah, yeah. And that's why you see things that like even around fashion that people wear black mock turtlenecks because they thought they would they would be more jobsy. Everyone go way. look at Dan's profile picture uh, on Twitter right now while you're listening <laughs> to this. Exactly. Um, but like ultimately like, people try to take these surface level things as, uh, it, it, a great example is a lot of these Kickstarter videos where they say we've revolutionized the blah. They really didn't. They might've done making a... bell production local again. Yeah. And it's like, like, ultimately you could have done a small iteration on a thing that already exists, but you haven't redefined something the way that Steve jobs has. Therefore, maybe you should stop emulating him and start just speaking in your own tone. And maybe you actually might be more convincing and might, sell as many things as you did when you were trying to just emulate what somebody more successful than you has already done in the past. I get, I mean, one thing to play devil's advocate a little bit here. Yeah, do that. That's how we make a podcast. That's good. Are we, uh, are we taking the other side of it? Because then when we fail, it's a lot easier. Like if you don't say that this is the greatest thing and this is going to change the world. If you're like, we tried, uh, we have, we, we, uh, we applied our process or whatever. Uh, we think we made it, a bit better it's going to be going to be a good thing not the changing of the world thing mm. here it is and it and it doesn't work out See, are you now uh you're allowed to have that failure because you weren't so loud and blustery no i think the only thing that's different is the amount of fanfare that's around it like if you say that this is going to change everything and it does then you get a lot of praise mm -hmm. for it and if it doesn't then you just kind of look like a crazy person but if you're more honest and say I am going to make something that's good. There might be some faults to it, and we might have to do some iterations along the way, and ultimately will be great. 
and when that happens, uh, people are like, okay, well, he, he kind of kept to his word and it wasn't like this big show. I mean, that's it, where I always so. want to be with my life too, is to say something honest and then deliver on it as opposed to lie about everything and uh, under deliver and disappoint, but, but sound really exciting at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right, Matt. I think for me, a big part of it is like uh, setting expectations that I, 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 a lot of the things I do in my life are in, in service of trying to not be wrong. Uh, <laughs> like I, 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 I live in fear. I, we talked about my fear of all the cognitive biases. That's just me afraid of being wrong for a wide variety of reasons, right? Like I try really hard to, I strive. Uh, it's a personal value of mine to contribute some small truth, even if I have to, you know, caption it with all sorts of caveats and all the possible biases it may be subject to. Uh, so yeah, I think part of it is definitely that, um, that, uh, but I also think it's just a matter of kind of how you carry yourself. Like to me, if I spend a lot of time to work on something and release it, Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have to tell you that I think it's going to be great. Like the, all the effort I put into it is proof in the pudding that I did in fact believe in this thing and sort of want it to succeed and believe that the world is asking for it in some way. Uh, to do something and like write it off and you know treat it as something small, I think is like the epitome of hipsterdom, where it's like, oh, I did this thing, but you know, whatever, it's just some bullshit. And it's like, well, why would you do that thing if it's bullshit? I don't know, man, nothing matters. It's like, fuck you, stop being an idiot. <laughs> uh, like, you, if you don't have a reason to do something, uh, that seems silly. So, so yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's like, I wish that that was a given. I wish that people didn't give any weight to people that go out there and say that like this thing is changing the world because mm. we should all be working on something we think is going to change the world in some small way and contribute some in some way to the things that we believe in. And we shouldn't be rewarded for going and blustering on about that forever. <laughs> and yet people are rewarded for it all the time. I don't know how to change that. I don't know. I think we, have to, I think we just have to go selectively kill some people. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. See, I keep this stuff in Slack so nobody sees it, and then Andy goes and says it on Yeah, that's air. true. I'm just saying. Well, I, I'm sharing my light with the world. You're putting your candle under a bushel, and I'm showing <laughs> yep. my candle to the world. <laughs> I don't know what you're supposed to do with that. Like, I also don't want to reward that behavior. I worry maybe sometimes I do. Except we do, just by, like, by I worry accident, that I right? personally do, because I'm not aware of it, and that we absolutely collectively do. And, uh, like, are we just supposed to crucify more when the thing does fail like i think i'm good with it if the thing is indeed what you're talking about if you're so grandiose and indeed you change the world i don't really feel that upset about it but when you don't like should you be murdered no i don't (laughs) think you should be murdered but yeah no no i mean like okay so here's a good example uh there was one kickstarter going back to that just as a general topic there was one kickstarter for the ouya console it was an Android-based console. It was a micro console, so it was very small, didn't have very much power, but the whole idea is that you could play very cheap indie games on it. It was supposed to be a hub mm. for that. Cool. Um, did v- It had a very successful run on Kickstarter. Um, I think it was multiples of millions of dollars, if I can remember correctly. And they promised a lot of stuff, and ultimately they did not keep most of the promises that they had it was behind schedule the quality wasn't there the amount of games that they had uh was not on par with what they were talking about pretty much everything failed uh so for that i mean it it didn't become something where everybody was coming with like pitchforks and and torches towards them it was a general consensus was like 
okay, well, some money got put into this. It failed. Nobody cares. Everybody's moving on because nobody gives a shit anymore. And I wonder if well, that's that... a pretty bleak attitude, don't you think? Well, yeah, but it's also something where like people aren't saying like, no, you totally screwed up and you should pay for it and like being very accusational about it. They were just like, well, they fucked up and that's their thing and we're going to move on without them. You know, and that's the thing and is, I don't I, want to make it sound like failure is not okay because not only yeah. is it inevitability, I think it's something that we should not be afraid of. Uh, and yet, I, that doesn't mean that there's, there's two kinds of failure. There's one kind of failure where you try really hard at something that you believe in and it doesn't work. And there's another kind of failure where you overpromise a bunch of bullshit to try and get in some doorways that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get in and can never deliver on it because it was a thing you could have possibly hoped to deliver on. Uh, and I, here's what I think it comes down to. I think that we as a society don't value things that are interesting. and We don't value curiosity. All, all we value is uh, world-shattering success, right? So hypothetically, someone comes out with some new tech device. Let's take the Oya, for example. Uh, if I remember, the sort of... Uh, what it is, is it's a thing you can plug in your TV and play video games on it that, you know, it's just a little tiny box and all the games are downloaded. Uh, the bluster about it was that it was going to revolutionize gaming and unlock the TV for a bunch of indie developers who previously couldn't get games on consoles because consoles cost a lot of money to develop for and now they'd be able to develop indie games for television and the whole thing was going to get blown wide open and the TV was going to be the new platform for indie gaming and all this kind of crazy stuff. No one is, you no one is satisfied with the idea of here is a new technology. Won't it be interesting to see what happens with, with this when people start developing games for it? Instead, everyone runs with, this is the new revolution for indie gaming. Now, indie gamers from all over the world are going to be in your family room on your big screen with the Oya. Like, everyone has to sell everything. Crazy, because no one is satisfied with something being interesting and just being curious about it. And I feel like if we just had a greater cultural value in just, oh, isn't this interesting? Let's see where this goes which is one of the most beautiful ideas you can have. Like, a, a just an honest, this interests me, I wonder where it will go. If we actually value that, I feel like we, we could get around all this shit. But I do feel like we, we do appreciate that in pockets. So the most prevalent example I can think of is Minecraft. It didn't start off with this big fanfare of, this is going to be the greatest game ever. It was Marcus building something by himself, saying, like, this is really cool. Maybe if it makes me enough money, that's awesome. And then it blew up into a cultural phenomenon where people did uh, become very interested in it by almost entirely curiosity uh, of what it could do. So I think that's one example where that does sort of work. Does that happen very often? Absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, there are still stories like that. And I think that those are the ones that I love to look to and be like, you made this thing for honest reasons. And it was honestly great, and it therefore became successful. And, you know, I, I, see this I see two sides of everything, because I've also seen plenty of things that are made from a place of genuine authenticity and are actually great, but are not successful because they don't get marketed. And I truly believe it is just a matter of if you don't market a thing in a certain way, some, some ideas need to be presented in a certain way to succeed. And I, I think that's a a huge actual part of running it. I don't, I don't believe that if you build it, they will come, is basically the way to put it. Uh, and Minecraft is a great example of something he did to build, and they did just come. Uh, and maybe it's because it was so great, and maybe it's because he got lucky, maybe it's because the right people played it at the right times, and it just kind of spread naturally, and that was just kind of uh, just chance. Um, but I don't think that's a rule that everyone can, can abide by. So 
here we are saying that, and by we, I mean me, here I am saying that, you know, talking about yourself in such a crazy way is bad, disingenuous, uh, uncouth, and yet I think it's an essential thing for many creative projects. The difference is the tone, right? You don't have to, you can market something without being a fucking idiot about it. Although it's less effective. We ourselves have discovered that, you know, if I go and try and write an honest sentence that tries to cover the topics that we talk about on this show and put it on Reddit or Designer News or Twitter, uh, and I just genuinely kind of try and say what we talked about in a way that I hope is interesting, because I think we cover things that are interesting to some people, there's very little response to it. Very few comments, if any. Very few upvotes. No one retweets or favorites. If I just take a question from the podcast out of context, or I present one uh, sort of uh, boisterous or dramatic side of one of the arguments we had, uh, we'll get lots of all those things. Lots of comments. Lots of upvotes. Even the ones where people leave a bunch of comments talking about how mad they are that the sentence I wrote is wrong and they sh- I should be put in my place, or that I'm writing clickbait things, it still gets more upvotes. People, you're there trolling in the comments but good those votes are going up uh like it, there's something about yeah. that so and oftentimes we convert listeners that way who listen to the show kind of as a hate listen because they think they're going to be real pissed off at it and it turns out to be not what they expected and they become real listeners so you know uh, there's no right answer everything sucks it's tough it's really hard i struggle with this all the time i want to uh i think i really like the thing i come back to a lot is sometimes i just look at other people and go i really wish uh, I could do that without worrying that I'm being an asshole because I think then I would just be more successful. Yeah, that, that that's the ultimate fear for me too is like if I had it in me to be more blustery about the things we're making and you know, I'm blustery on this show about my ideas but mm-hmm. you know, when it when it comes to talking about ourselves in a meeting or when it comes to presenting like writing language for the app store, um, I'm always the one on the side of like conservative, like honest, straightforward, descriptive uh, and some of the people in the office are like, no, it's just right that this is the best chess game. Let's just write it. Like, who cares? Like, we're going to write it here and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. But, you know, so um, <laughs> that's my general disposition. I'm, I'm definitely on the hyper conservative side. The big fear, Matt, is like what you said. Like, would these things that we genuinely believe in be more successful if we just talked about them in this other way? This honestly reminds me of, uh, I think Matt's made a note of it a couple of times, of uh, my general tone and disposition, like in our Slack mm-hmm. chat, of how I am, and then how I talk in person, and how that tends to be two different voice and tones. Yeah, basically in the Slack chat, you tend to say what you think and feel, and then in the show, you tend to basically reel that all in and tone it all down, <laughs> which which is definitely going to help in the show. We're talking about here. We should all be more blustery and all sort of make more dramatic statements. So if you want to do your part, Dan, just slack it up. <laughs> okay, yes, I will slack it up more. No, I, I think the thing is that uh, we tend to have different voice and tones depending on the situation. Like if it's a work situation or even with the podcast, it's it, particularly for me that I try to make sure that I keep myself in check to think more and to say things based off of what like you guys are saying what the general topic is rather than saying like oh my god every designer sucks they're all fucking stupid like that's that's not constructive that's not good for a conversation why do you put that in our slack all the time (laughs) because sometimes i feel that way and i let it out and therefore i feel better but that's not a a that's not premise for a good constructive conversation 
Therefore, it's not good for like a podcast. Oh wait, so you're saying example. I'm supposed to choose what I say based on what's good for the podcast, not just what I'm feeling and thinking? <laughs> Said the infinite narcissist, falling into a Ouroboros of his own self. What I'm saying is that I could say that, and there's really nothing to go off of for that, other than why the fuck did you just say that? I feel I think the Slack is a filter for a lot of people. A lot of times, I'll just post a thing yeah. I don't like, a person I don't like that I would maybe previously have yelled at on Twitter and felt bad later. So, uh, Matt, you are describing the, my use of Slack. Yep. Uh, to, in, in our <laughs> Slack and other Slacks, it's basically the place where I put yeah. the things that I would put on Twitter if I wasn't afraid of looking like a negative jerk. <laughs> so uh, what we're really admitting on air is that we're a bunch of assholes on the internet, but only in our own little bubble. Yep, exactly. Okay. I even tried starting a Twitter account for a while where I would post all the snarky thoughts that I had. Uh, and it just made me feel bad. <laughs> I, I didn't feel good about it. Uh, I think there were some funny tweets. People seemed to respond to them positively. People responded to them negatively. But I just didn't feel good at the end of the day. So I stopped tweeting. And you'll never find an account. It's impossible. So I think you're not secretly an asshole. You're not going to emerge as a Steve Jobs clone jerk. I hope I'm not secretly anything. That's my main goal. Not to be secret anything. Is it my happy ending? Yeah, it is. My happy ending... A little bit weird for a happy ending, but it fits perfectly and I can talk about it in a way that makes me extremely excited is a company called Narragansett Leathers based out of Maine. Uh, And this is not a company, really. I mean, they're a company, but it's mostly just two old people uh, named Alan and Anne Marie. And they used to run a leather shop uh, in a small town in Maine for many years where they would make bags and belts and all sorts of accessories. And in their old age, they've retired, uh, so they no longer have the shop downtown. They just have a P.O. box now, and they uh, no longer make most of the things that they used to make, but they still make belts. Uh, They make the most perfect belt you could ever want. Uh, They basically have all different kinds of your basic leathers, all different browns and some blacks. Uh, You can get your belts everywhere from one inch to one and a half inch uh, wide, which is the only reasonable width for belts. It's all you ever need. Uh, They have a selection of very practical and uh, handsome buckles. And you basically, you go on their website, and the way you order is you send an email to their, I think it's a, what is it, AOL address? Uh, Let me check. I'm going to actually look it up. Uh, Oh, no, they actually seem to have, they hit our new email is actually at narragansettlovers.com. So they now have an email address at their own domain. Um, So you send an email to Alan, who I believe is the main belt smith, uh, and you tell him, uh, the measurements of your waist, and you tell him the measurements of some belts you have that fit you well, the measurements so you, he, he makes the belt specifically to the length that you require, uh, so it's not like a off-the-shelf sizing. It's actually a custom-made belt where the middle of the five holes is going to be your exact size, so you have a little room to go up and down depending on the size pants you're wearing or if you gain or lose a little bit of weight. And uh, it's about 40 bucks, uh, I, I believe, uh, for a belt, uh, including the buckle, including all packaging up, custom length, uh, that's a better price than you'll get at any hipster store in Brooklyn for basically the same thing. It's a better price than you'll pay in a department store. And here's a nice man who's making you just a timeless, riveted, all leather belt with a classic buckle. And it's just, it's perfect. You, you need no other belts. Uh, go, go, go forth and order from Alan. Email him at his new email address and get some belts, everybody, because it's a good thing in the world. This has been On The Grid, episode 129. I think you should find us on Twitter, at Grid Show, and play the opposite game with us. You can also find us individually, at MenMC, at Dan Auer, and at Andy Mangold. 
Ask us the opposite of something. Make it up. We'll play a game together. See you there at Grid Show. Thanks to Roll Music and Glassboy for the interlude music, Girlfriends for the theme music, and finally, thanks to you for listening. Until next week.